Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Rebecca Johnson. I'm one of the co-hosts of a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and we talk about mostly about the uh, CW Supergirl TV series, but we talk about uh, comics, animated shows, uh, animated feature films, uh, Supergirl the movie, Smallville. We talk about all things Cars Orel and Supergirl. So it's not just Supergirl Radio is not just about the TV show, but uh, we try to cover as much ground uh, in the Supergirl world as possible. Um, so that's where I'm coming from with uh, my love for Supergirl, and so. In this hour, we're going to try to go through as much as of Supergirl's history as we possibly can yeah, in 60 minutes, because uh, there is a lot to cover here with the comics. Um, so I guess we will go ahead and get started. So before we even get to the uh, official debut of Supergirl in Action Comics number 252, uh, I think it's really neat that the comics actually played around with the idea of a Supergirl way before they even introduced her. There was uh, multiple female counterparts to Superman even before Supergirl shows up. So we're going to talk uh, very briefly about a few of those. So the first one is from Action Comics number 60 from May 1943. And uh, this is in a story titled Lois Lane's Superwoman. So the very first female counterpart to Superman was very fittingly Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in this story, if you're wondering how Lois gets these powers, uh, Lois Lane is hit by a truck which sadly often happens to Lois Lane in the Silver Age. She, she falls a lot. She's knocked out. So Lois does have a lot of uh, physical troubles. <laughs> so Lois Lane is hit by a truck. She, re- she, re- she receives a blood transfusion from Superman, so that's how she gets his powers. But the big twist at the end of the story, spoiler alert, it's all just a dream. She's been dreaming it this whole time. She had a brain operation, and she, dre- she dreamt that she was Superwoman. Um, so it actually is very quick, one issue and done. Um, but uh, what I think is really neat about this issue is uh, her costume. So uh, just as we go through this, pay attention to the different iterations of the costume because they played around with a lot of variations on Supergirl's look. Superman, they don't, you know, they change something in Superman's costume, everybody freaks out. Supergirl, they play around with it throughout her history. So um, I think it's really neat if you can't see it in the back. I know it's kind of hard to see, but uh, Lois Lane has uh, a lot of similar things to Superman here, the red boots, the blue pants, the red cape. But here she's got a blue skirt, uh, the red gloves, and uh, she's sleeveless, which I think is awesome. You know, sun's out, gun's out, Lois. And uh, she's got a uh, heart-shaped S-shield, which is very unique. Um, so I think that's really cool. Wait, so does she actually get hit by a truck? She gets hit by a truck. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, unfortunately a, a, a Lois Lane trope that she <laughs> something happens to her. 
Um, so the next time around that we see a Supergirl is in Superboy number five from November, December 1949. And this is in a story titled Superboy Meets Supergirl. And in this story, Clark Kent befriends a character named Lucy Regent. And uh, Superboy and this Supergirl, this Lucy, they perform a lot of super stunts together. They become friends. And at one point, somebody's trying to shoot Superman. And, of course, we all know that he can't be shot by bullets. But she doesn't know that. So she hops in front of him, tries to protect him. And uh, so they have a really good relationship. But turns out this Lucy Regent character is a queen of her people. So by the end of the story, she uh, has to leave. She leaves all of her super stunts behind, and she goes back, and she becomes Queen Lucy, and she assumes the throne of her people. So, again, a very temporary idea in this issue, um, but it's worth noting, again, that the costume has changed. Uh, This time around, this Supergirl has blonde hair, and she has uh, orangey-yellowish boots and an orangey-yellowish dress with a, a purple cape. So it's a different look, but she does have the S-shield on her chest. So the next time around that we see a uh, Supergirl, female counterpart to Superman, is Lois Lane once again. And this is in Action Comics number 156 from May 1951 and a story titled The Girl of Steel. And that should sound pretty familiar to Supergirl fans. I think this is the first time that The Girl of Steel is used as a nickname. And uh, this story is worth noting because the art is drawn by Al Plastino, and we'll talk about him a little bit in a little bit, but he is one of the co-creators of Supergirl. So uh, even eight years before she makes her official debut, Al Plastino is drawing a female counterpart to Superman. And so in this story, uh, we talked previously about how Lois Lane got hit by a truck. Well, this time around, she doesn't have a lot of physical ailments, <laughs> but she does gain powers through an invention made by Luther. And he... Uh, he ends up giving her powers. And uh, in the story, as Superwoman, she has a blonde wig. And uh, I think this is possibly the uh, origination of the idea that a a Supergirl, uh, a female counterpart to Superman, would actually be his relative. Uh, So this is kind of the the workshopping of that idea, because Superman... Uh, flies out and he's he's telling Perry White, you know, I'm, I don't know who this Superwoman is, and he says, gonna read it. Uh, he says maybe she's from Krypton to Superman. She might even be a relative. So uh, I think this is maybe the first time around that we get to see the idea of maybe a super super girl would be related to Superman. And I guess we could also point out that this, the costume has changed once again. Uh, this time around, it's a red skirt. And kind of the usual things we think about Supergirl, the blue top with the S-shield and the red cape with the S-shield on the back. So the costume has changed once again. Oh, and this is a good story. This is uh, Superman number 12 from August 1958. So keep in mind, this is a year before Supergirl makes her official debut. And this is a story titled The Three Magic Wishes. And in this story, uh, Jimmy Olsen is given the gift of an ancient totem, because that's, of course, that's what you get, Jimmy Olsen. It's a magical totem, so he makes a wish, and he's very uh, selfless in his wish. He doesn't wish for something for himself. He wishes for something for his pal, Superman, and he wants to have a Supergirl companion for Superman. And uh, in the story, they actually uh, type it out as Super-Girl. Uh, but she um, she causes some problems for Superman. She causes some problems for his secret identity. So he thinks she's a super nuisance. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate for her because she ends up dying by the end of the issue from kryptonite. So she has a really sad, tragic ending. Uh, but she does pop up in this story. And they actually have the Girl of Steel on the cover there 
uh, and the, the way she's drawn, she's got the blonde hair, the, the red boots, the red skirt, the yellow belt, the blue shirt with the S-shield, the red cape. So this is, this is very close to what we think about and when we think about Supergirl. So now we've gotten to the official comic debut of Supergirl. When they talk about her first appearance, this is what they're talking about. So this is a, in Action Comics number 252, and this is from April 1959, and a story titled The Supergirl from Krypton. And uh, this was a story written by Otto Bender, and Al Plastino was the artist on this. We talked a little bit about Al Plastino before. And uh, in this story, basically the premise is uh, that Kara, she's living with her family on Krypton. Krypton uh, explodes. Their family survives on a little chunk of Krypton out in space, um, which what would probably be known now as Argo. But in the story, they don't refer it as such. Um, but they, they're able to survive on this chunk for a little while. They even have this thing they call a food machine, and it's exactly what you think it is. It's a machine that pumps out food. Uh, so it's very convenient that they had a machine in space that gave them food anytime they needed to uh, eat something. And uh, so they're doing okay for a little while, and then some kryptonite radiation pops up, and they, they uh, try to cover it over with lead. They roll down all this lead to try to cover up the kryptonite radiation, and then eventually that doesn't work either, and there's kryptonite meteorites um, that start pummeling this chunk. So uh, Kara's family decides, hey, we got to send her off. And so they find Superman, they find Earth, and they uh, send her off to uh, go to Earth and live. And it's interesting because in this story, Zor-El gets a mention, but uh, Allura is not named yet. So her mother is not given a name at this point. So that's how she gets to Earth. And in this issue, this is the introduction of Midvale, where Kara will spend a lot of her time in the Silver Age, and the creation of her secret identity uh, that she picks for herself as Linda Lee. And uh, we also see that she wears a brunette wig in here as her secret identity of Linda Lee. Um, and so you can see the uh, costume has changed once again, even <laughs> a year later, after the last time we saw a female counterpart to Superman. This time around, she's got... Uh, the the red boots with the blue skirt, the yellow belt, the blue top, the S shield, and the red cape, and the blonde hair. So um, that's that's the way she looks for a good chunk of the Silver Age. Yeah. Did they explain like the age difference or? Uh, well, it's just she she just happened to be uh, a child. Uh, she just happened to be younger than Superman at the time, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is not like the suspended animation kind of situation that you might see on things like Smallville or even on the CW Supergirl. Um, but I think it's just, if I remember correctly, I think it's just she's, she just happens to be younger than him. But they, they discover that they're cousins in this issue. They don't, they don't know it until they start talking and realizing their, their fathers are actually brothers. All right, so let's talk about the, the guys that created Supergirl. So the, the man who wrote the first appearance was a man named Otto Bender. And he often wrote, what's really interesting about him is he often wrote under the pen name of Eando Bender. So if you ever see any old stories with the name Eando Bender, that's actually Otto Bender and his brother Earl. So they would write under a pen name, so that's how you get Eando, Earl plus Otto. And uh, so Otto Bender, he was uh, pretty famous in the DC world uh, back during this time because not only did he contribute greatly to the Superman family, he was also very much entrenched in the world of Captain Marvel, which today we would know as Shazam. So if you recently saw the Shazam movie, you might thank Otto Bender for some of that stuff because um, he, he was probably actually more famous for Captain Marvel. Um, there's a really good biography of him about that, and a lot of it's about Captain Marvel more than it is his Superman stuff. But he did um, create a lot. 
in terms of what we think about Superman and the Superman-Supergirl mythology. He created Crypto the Superdog, he created Brainiac, the Legion of Superheroes, Candor, Lucy Lane, and even Jimmy Olsen's Signal Watch. Uh, so he, he did a lot to uh, further the mythology of the Superman family. His stories often promoted equality and acceptance, so he was big into that. And he was also big into space. He liked science fiction. He liked uh, to study space. And he even was an editor of a magazine called Space World Magazine. So his fascination with space and aliens really came in handy when he was writing stories about Supergirl. <laughs> and the man who drew the art for Action Comics number uh, 252 was a man named Al Plastino. He, uh, he worked with Otto Bender uh, quite a bit as well. Um, he's famous for being the, the artist who introduced Kryptonite into the comic books. Kryptonite was uh, actually introduced on the Adventures of Superman radio show. So he actually got to bring it into the comics after the radio show. He also helped Otto Bender co-create Brainiac and the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, he also drew the first appearance of Parasite, who is a Superman villain. He contributed to Superman the Wedding Album. And his greatest pride in his comics work was uh, Superman number 168, which was uh, Superman's mission for President Kennedy. He thought that was his, uh, his greatest work. And what I think is really cool about the adaptations that have come since then is they have paid tribute to Otto and, and Al. So on the CW Supergirl, the, uh, the bridge, so like in the pilot when uh, Kara has to save Alex when she, the plane is going down, they, uh, they kind of have this interaction with the bridge. That's Otto Bender Bridge on the show. Um, also on the CW Supergirl, um, the newly appointed President Plastino, after they had all those president troubles in season four, um, uh, they now have a president named President Plastino, so that's named after Al Plastino. And on Batman the Brave and the Bold, they actually have a little quick commercial that's in one of the episodes uh, advertising Plastino's Cat Snacks. And it, uh, the cat in that advertisement looks uh, suspiciously like a super cat named Streaky with his lightning bolt on his fur and his red cape. And speaking of Streaky the super cat, uh, let's uh, talk about the Silver Age of Supergirl. Uh, I chose this cover specifically because I think uh, the giant Streaky the super cat really embodies the Silver Age in my mind. So the Silver Age ran from about 1956 to 1970. And in these stories for Supergirl, they, they take a, a place in um, largely around the Midvale Orphanage. So Superman, he doesn't really want to take care of this, this girl he found in the, the pod. So he, he says, you know what, I'm going to give you over to this Midvale Orphanage, figure out your powers, make sure that you uh, can uh, control them, and you can help me, you can be my secret weapon. She's known as Superman's secret weapon because anytime he gets in trouble or he needs help, he can call her and she can come and help him out. So she stays in Midvale basically to just kind of figure out this, this new life on Earth. Uh, so a lot of Superman fans don't like that he kind of ditched her to an orphanage. But uh, she does grow up there. And sometimes she um, avoids being adopted because she thinks that she needs to stay in the orphanage so that she can help Superman, which is a strange thing. You know, find a family, find a home that, you know, for people that, that love you. But she sometimes will avoid being uh, adopted for that reason. Um, and oftentimes in these stories, uh, if she has to go away and be the secret weapon and help save the day, uh, she also has Linda Lee robots hidden in a hollowed out part of a tree. So anytime she has to go out and do a super feat, the Linda Lee robot will go to the orphanage and take her place as Linda Lee so nobody knows she's gone. So that's a, <laughs> that's a funny part of 
uh, Linda Lee is that uh, she conveniently has a whole bunch of robots just like Superman does. Um, in this age of Supergirl, this is also where we get to, to meet Streaky the Supercat and Comet the Superhorse. And these super pets uh, in DC Comics are mostly tied to Supergirl. I mean, Crypto the Superdog is kind of Superman's dog, but Streaky and Comet are very specifically tied to Supergirl. Uh, this is also the era when she becomes a legionnaire and joins the, joins the Legion of Superheroes. She, uh, had, she forms a crush on Brainiac 5. This is where that starts. Um, she does eventually, when she decides, I'm fully you know, capable of my powers and I'm done being uh, Superman's secret weapon, she does end up getting adopted by the Danvers family. And this era of comics, I think, is really highly influential on the Helen Slater Supergirl the movie and also the CW TV series. Um, you can see I, I put a little panel in there of Mr. Mitchess Pitalik trying to marry Supergirl. Uh, that might be something that you see in an episode of the TV show. So now we get into the 1970s, and this is an era where Supergirl uh, got to be featured in Adventure Comics, which was a, a line of comics, so she's big in the, the Adventure Comics series. It, it eventually becomes uh, Adventure Comics featuring Supergirl, so you might see two different titles there. This is the era when Supergirl, she's, she's a little bit more grown up now. She, uh, she goes to college. She goes to a lot. Of, she, she's very educated, Supergirl. She goes to Stanhope College. She studies acting at Van Dyer University. We'll talk about her, uh, her other college experience in uh, the 80s that we'll get to. Uh, but she, it's important, remember that she studies acting at Van Dyer University. Very important. We'll get to that later. Uh, but she also joins the workforce. She becomes a camera operator for a local TV station, uh, uh, KSF-TV in San Francisco. So she actually moves out to San Francisco. She goes from Midvale to San Francisco to be a camera operator. So during this time in the 1970s, I talked about how the costumes, uh, they played around with the costume design and what Supergirl would look like. And they really did it in the 1970s. They went so far as to take reader suggestions so if there were people out there that said, hey, I could design a Supergirl costume, uh, DC Comics would uh, take it and put it in the stories, which is actually pretty cool. Some of the costumes might not be so great. <laughs> um, uh, there's, there's a pantsuit in there. They did a lot of weird things with the boots. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very strange uh, time period. So there's some playing around with it. And uh, the costume on the right is done by... Uh, a reader named Margaret from New York. And uh, as much as I think that's a weird costume, I don't know even how that totally works, how it stays on her. Uh, but uh, good for Margaret. She submitted something, and it got put into a comic book story. So then we get into the 1980s, and uh, this is where Supergirl's featured in stories in The Daring New Adventures of Supergirl. And these are stories written by uh, Paul Kupperberg and drawn by Carmine Infantino. And uh, I'm, I previously mentioned that Supergirl is very educated. She goes to a lot of universities. Well, this time around, she is uh, a student at Lakeshore University in Chicago, and she's a psychology major. So this is where a lot of her stories take place. Uh, this series, I think, is really notable because it introduces Supergirl villains Reactron and Psy. And uh, these, are, these are Supergirl villains that are directly tied to Supergirl. Sometimes in Supergirl stories, they might... Uh, lend Superman villains over to her to, to punch. <laughs> but, uh, but this time around, she gets her own villains, uh, Reactron and Psy, and we'll see them pop up later in her history. Uh, so you might be able to see that the costumes have changed once again. 
uh, around this time, she was wearing shorts. You know, good. why not? Uh, so she has shorts, the yellow belt. Uh, the the S shield changes. It goes from being in the main center part to just uh, like the, to the left side of her chest. Uh, and then she, of course, has the blonde hair and the red cape. So they played around with that. And then at some point in, da- in Daring New Adventures, her costume, this shorts costume, gets ruined. So she has to get a new one. And her mother makes her an, an even newer costume. So then it changes to the red boots with the little yellow on the top with the red skirt, the yellow belt. And then the S-Shield kind of becomes a collar. So it, uh, it changes quite a bit during this time. They still hadn't really nailed it down. There's a lot of exploration with the costume. So uh, if you remember, uh, if I, I said uh, pay attention to the fact that she studies acting at Van Dyer University, well, she's finally going to get to actually do some acting. And this is one of my favorite things about Supergirl because I'm a huge Young and the Restless fan. I've been watching that show since I was 15 years old, so I'm a big soap opera fan. And in the 1980s, in the Superman family stories, Supergirl, Linda Danvers, is actually an actress on a soap opera titled Secret Hearts, where she plays a character named Marco Hatton. And uh, I, I think it's really funny in these stories, like most soap opera fans, there are characters you love, and there are characters you really hate. Like, you can't still, like, sometimes I'm watching The Young and the Restless, and I'm like, ugh, Sharon. Um, so uh, there are people in these stories who... I mean, this, this woman in the purple suit, she calls her a hussy. She thinks that she is Margot out on the street, and she calls her a hussy. And, uh, but on the bottom, some people really love her as Margot on Secret Hearts and are big fans. So if you take only one thing from this presentation about Supergirl, I hope it is that she was a, a soap opera actress, because not a lot of people know that. And I think it's uh, probably one of my favorite things about Supergirl. <laughs> So also in the 80s, something really big happens for Supergirl. She gets a feature film, live action, first live action portrayal of Supergirl in Supergirl the movie in 1984. And uh, she's portrayed by Helen Slater, and the movie also features Faye Dunaway and Peter O'Toole. And uh, this was directed by Jeannot Swark. And if you're a Smallville fan, you might recognize his name. He also directed several episodes of Smallville, so he has a lot of ties to the Superman-Supergirl family. Uh, this this movie and this story features uh, Argo City. We get to see where Kara grows up and where she lives. And this also features the Linda Lee secret identity. It also features Jimmy Olsen and Louis, uh, Lucy Lane, who also uh, played big parts in Supergirl stories as well. And this uh, was the first appearance of Selena, who Faye Dunaway uh, portrayed, who has now most recently been introduced in the DC Rebirth stories. Uh, and she was also featured in season three of the Supergirl TV series. So Selena first appeared in Supergirl the movie, and uh, the Omega Hedron was also a big part of this movie, and that actually showed up on the first season of the Supergirl TV series as well. And I argue, some people might disagree with me, but I think Supergirl the movie uh, establishes DC Comics as the first cinematic universe. I know that some people would maybe disagree, but I think DC got there first because Mark McClure, who played Jimmy Olsen, was also in the Christopher Reeve films. So they did cross over a little bit. Uh, so uh, I know a lot of people think that this is a terrible movie, and that may be the case. I might, I might grant you that it has a lot of flaws, but Helen Slater is really fantastic as Supergirl, and uh, she has some great scenes with Peter O'Toole in the Phantom Zone. So you actually get to see the Phantom Zone, and it's a very uh, emotionally... Um, uh, gripping. I really love those scenes in the Phantom Zone. So if you've never watched it, don't listen to what people say. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah? To be honest, my dad and I 
when I was in Florida, we watched this movie and I rated it about 10 out of 10 okay. on my side because it was good. It's just some parts like those two. Yeah. I didn't agree with one of them because remember when you talked about the Omega injury? Mm -hmm. The very power source from from where Subaru was from? Yeah. It was a very unique device. It's just that when people like this woman take something that doesn't belong to her, that's kind of a very bad move. I would say so. Yeah, she maybe shouldn't have played yeah. around with it like she did. She, it, uh, it didn't uh, pay that off for her in the end. That literally had hit. I'm sorry for having to use profanity, but she, but Sugo, she was literally pissed off. Yeah, oh, yeah. Literally. Yeah, yeah. And when you piss off a Kryptonian, you got you to expect some consequences, yeah. You got face the consequences. And this woman literally had to face the consequences. Yeah, Selena is a, 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 I actually think she's a pretty fun villain. She's very campy. Yeah, she uh, so don't, don't take it super seriously. Uh, but Faye Dunaway, really, she played up the camp. Yeah. So also in the 1980s, it's a really weird time uh, for Supergirl in the 1980s because she has that huge thing. She gets a movie and then the comics decide to kill her off. Uh, so <laughs> it's a really weird, why, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, well, actually, I do know what they were thinking, uh, but it, I, I don't know if it was uh, the best decision, but we'll talk about it. Um, so during this time, uh, in around April 1985 to March 1986, they had a huge uh, uh, comic book event called Crisis on Infinite Earths. And the basic idea behind this, uh, this event was that DC was trying to create a unified universe. And so they, they had the multiverse and they had all these um, connections to Superman and they wanted to condense it down so that Superman was the last son of Krypton. And so that meant that Supergirl had to go. She was a tie to his Kryptonian heritage. And um, to make him the last son of Krypton, they can't have another Kryptonian around. So in Crisis on Infinite Earths, they um, actually... If they had to kill her off, I'm at least glad they did it this way. She's very noble and sacrificial in Crisis on Infinite Earths. She dies saving Superman. Uh, Batgirl gives her eulogy. Superman buries her up in space. Um, and so I think they, they did it really, uh, really well, even if they had to kill her. And that, um, that cover, if you can see it, uh, where Superman is holding Supergirl's dead body is a very famous cover. And uh, a lot of people will pay homage to that um, you actually saw it on uh, Supergirl, where Superman was holding Supergirl's uh, unconscious body. And if you're wondering, uh, like we talked about with the costume changes, why Supergirl's wearing a headband. Headbands were pretty big in the 1980s, and uh, it's, it's, an, it's an unusual choice. Um, but from my understanding is that in the pre-production of the Supergirl movie with Helen Slater, they uh, tried to introduce a headband look to her costume, and uh, when they started shooting the movie, they decided to scrap it. But by that time, the comics had already introduced it, and they were kind of still stuck with it, even though the Supergirl, the movie, ended up ditching the headband. Um, so that's, that's why she's got the headband on in the comics. And you can actually see Helen Slater there with the headband in their pre-production stills. 
And if you watch the Arrowverse, uh, this, this past season had uh, an Elseworlds crossover where they actually uh, paid tribute to Crisis on Infinite Earths where they uh, had the story that, oh, maybe Supergirl and Barry Allen's The Flash are going to die in this reality. And they played that up a little bit. But thankfully, they didn't, they didn't kill off Supergirl and Barry Allen on the show. But in the comics, that's what happens. Supergirl and Barry Allen's The Flash are killed off in the continuity in DC Comics. So DC Comics realizes, well, shoot, we've killed off Supergirl, but she's a really great character and people seem to like her, so what are we going to do? So they decided to uh, create these Supergirl substitutes. So they couldn't exactly bring Kara Zor-El back, but maybe they can cheat a little bit. Um, so they introduced the idea of a Matrix Supergirl in 1988 to around 2002. This is kind of that era when the death of Superman happens. Uh, she's created by John Byrne. And it's a very different concept than the original Supergirl. She is a protoplasmic matrix who has the memories of Lana Lang. And that's why she has these uh, sort of romantic uh, relationship uh, uh, feelings for uh, Lex Luthor's clone. So she's, so she's a, a protoplasmic matrix with Lana Lang's memories. She has a different power set than the original Supergirl. She has invisibility. She has telekinesis. And she's also a shapeshifter. But she looks an awful lot like Supergirl. <laughs> She's got the blonde hair and the red skirt, the red boots, everything. So she shapes it, shifts into looking like a Supergirl. So uh, that is the first attempt at trying to make a Supergirl substitute. So the Matrix idea carries on into the Peter David run, which happens around 1996 to 1999. And they take the Matrix idea and make it even weirder. Uh, so in this, uh, I'm going to try to make it so that it's easy to comprehend, but it's the Matrix idea that we saw before, but mix in a little uh, a character named Linda Danvers who is a satanic cult member. So uh, combine those, and you get the, you get the Peter David run. So uh, what happens is basically this Linda Danvers, uh, who is uh, a part of a satanic cult, she ends up dying. She's close to death. Supergirl tries to save her. And when that happens, they merge and become one. And so that's kind of the Supergirl that you see in these stories. These stories take place in a town, a fictional town called Leesburg. And I think that's a, an homage to Linda Lee. And what I think is really cool about these stories, this Peter David run, it's kind of weird conceptually, but it's a really fantastic read. Um, it's a page turner and it's very um, well written. There's a lot of layers to it in the art and in the dialogue and the storytelling. So it's actually a very mature uh, storytelling in terms of tone and, and the stories they put out. Like I wouldn't recommend this to a small child. It's kind of scary. They're demons and things like that. Um, but what I think is really cool, they play around with Christian imagery. Uh, Supergirl ends up becoming an earthborn angel. They introduce that concept. She, she actually does have like wings made of fire. Um, so it's definitely different than what you think of when you think of Supergirl, but it's actually a really great read, and I highly recommend it. Uh, she has uh, the power set. She has these side blasts, so she can uh, kind of knock people out just by thinking about it. She has uh, what, what she refers to as shunting powers, which is basically teleportation. She can go from one place to another. She also has flame vision in these stories, so it's not just the directional heat vision, but it's actual flames of fire that come out. And uh, she doesn't have x-ray, which uh, so there's no x-ray vision for her, So and that actually causes her some problems sometimes. Um, so in the Peter David run, uh, we get to see that she gets to hang out with a lot of her, her super friends. She meets up with Brainiac 5 at one point. He, he helps her out. 
Uh, a lot of these stories also uh, portray Fred and Sylvia Danvers, her, uh, her parents, so Linda Danvers, the satanic cult member, her parents are Fred and Sylvia Danvers, and they, they take uh, this, this matrix uh, in as their daughter eventually. And they have their own story arc, which is really awesome. All the characters get their own thing. Um, and it also int- introduces the character of Maddie, who is kind of Linda Danvers' best friend. Buzz is a demon who causes a lot of problems for her. And Cutter is Supergirl's PR agent. So <laughs> she has a PR agent in these stories. And uh, it's notable to, to point out that in, in this run, she gets to interact with Rampage, Silver Banshee, Dick Malvern, who is her boyfriend in the Silver Age. Uh, well, uh, Supergirl, uh, Linda, Linda Lee's uh, boyfriend in the Silver Age, um, not specifically. Well, it's, it gets complicated with the Linda Lee, Linda Danvers thing. Um, but Dick Malvern is her, her boyfriend there that they bring back into the Peter David run. Comet the Super Horse comes into play. There's a little <laughs> a variation on Comet the Super Horse there. Mary Marvel uh, makes an appearance, and Otto Bender was uh, the creator of Mary Marvel, so it's kind of cool that she makes another appearance in Supergirl stories. She interacts with Power Girl. Power Girl and Supergirl have a lot of uh, stories together, and Supergirl also gets to fight Granny Goodness and the Female Furies. So there's a lot of great action that happens in the Peter David run. But it ends with a story uh, titled Many Happy Returns, and um, this is also a very complicated story. Uh, This is where the Linda Danvers, the Matrix plus Satanic cult member, meets Kara Zor-El. So you actually have these two variations of Supergirl who actually interact and meet. And um, Linda finds out that Kara is supposed to die. And so Linda actually travels back in time and takes... Kara's place in the pre-crisis on Infinite Earth's continuity. So if you can kind of follow that, that's what happens. And she ends up having this uh, alternative uh, life where she ends up marrying Superman and having a child together. So that is, uh, it's kind of hard to think about, but Linda Danvers is not actually related to Superman, so it's not weird. Uh, so, So Supergirl marries Superman in the stories, but she's not related to him. So, again, during this time, uh, DC is still kind of, they, they don't have the original Supergirl back, so that if any time they want to use a Supergirl-like character, they've got to create one and put, put one in. And so in the Legion of Superhero stories, there's a character named Laurel Gand, created by Tom and Mary Beerbaum, Keith Giffen, and Al Gordon. And she looks an awful lot like Supergirl, but she's actually a Daxamite, and she's not Kryptonian, she's actually a a relative of Monel, if you're familiar with Monel, and she's a member of the Legion of Superheroes. She has a romance with Brainiac Five, where have we heard that before. And in the stories, if you ever hear of a Legion of Superheroes character named Andromeda, this is that character. So her code name is Andromeda, but uh, a lot of people know her as Laurel Gand. So uh, this is another character that some people point to as a, a Supergirl substitute. So around in the 90s, uh, from around 1996 to 2000, Superman the Animated Series was airing. And Supergirl is introduced in this show. And if you notice, in the uh, Linda Danvers uh, costume, by the end of her run in Many Happy Returns, she her costume changed to where she was wearing a blue skirt and a white top and with the white gloves. And so since that continuity was happening at the time, Superman the Animated Series adapted that look for Supergirl. So when she's introduced on the show, she's voiced by actress Nicole Tom. Her first appearance is in an episode titled Little Girl Lost. And the backstory for her here is that uh, Superman finds her on Argo. Uh, She's not biologically related to Kal-El, so they're not cousins. 
but he brings her back to earth and he uh, lets her he introduces her to the Kents so she lives on the farm with the Kents and so uh, this is this is the supergirl that we get introduced initially to in the DC animated universe and around this time they decided DC Comics was like you know what we have run out of ideas for supergirl substitutes let's just bring back the real thing so they brought Kara Zor-El back into the continuity around 2004 and Jeff Loeb actually reintroduced uh, Supergirl. He wanted to bring her back. And this era, unfortunately, uh, in my opinion, is the era where the art really sexualized Supergirl. Uh, she shows a lot of skin in these, in these comics. Um, so art-wise, it's not my favorite, but it does introduce uh, the villain known as Dark Supergirl. I know it's not a great, catchy name, uh, but Dark Supergirl was created during this time. And one of my favorite stories in this kind of era when they brought her back was a story titled The Way of the World. And Supergirl in that story actually tries to cure a little boy of cancer. So I think that's a, a neat idea, a, a, a neat story to explore with her character. So uh, we get back to the DC Animated Universe around 2004 to 2006. We got Justice League Unlimited. Anybody fans of JLU? Yeah, JLU's the best, right? So this was a continuation of the Justice League animated series that had come before it, and so they uh, wanted to bring a whole bunch of Justice League characters in, and so they brought Supergirl to hang out. Uh, once again, she is voiced by Nicole Tom, who voiced her in Superman the Animated Series. Uh, the last episode she appears in on this show is called Far From Home, and she has a change in costume once again. She's now wearing what we think of when we think of Cara Zor-El with the red skirt and the uh, blue top instead of the blue skirt with the white top. So because Cara Zor-El was reintroduced in the comics like that, they adapted it for Justice League Unlimited. And she ends up, uh, I think her story as she exits the, uh, the DC Animated Universe, I think is a really great choice. She uh, falls in love with Brainiac 5, and she chooses to leave, live in the future with the Legion of Superheroes. So that's how she goes out in the DC uh, Animated Universe. So the next time around that we see her is when she shows up on Smallville. Uh, she's played by uh, Laura Vandiver Vandervoort, and she shows up in Season 7, but then she has recurring episodes in Season 8 and Season 10. And uh, this is a, an even different take on the character. So, uh, like you mentioned before, you know, the age difference. So, in this version of the character, um, she is older than Kal-El when they are shipped off from Krypton, and she's charged with the, uh, the uh, responsibility of protecting baby Kal-El. But when he crashes where the kids find him, she ends up crashing in a body of water, and she is in suspended animation. And so she stays the same age while he grows up. So when she finds him, she's expecting to find a baby, and she ends up finding grown Tom Welling. So that's a, a big shock for her. <laughs> uh, so in this uh, iteration of the character, she's actually, they call her Kara Kent. And I, I like to think about the different pronunciations because in Supergirl the movie they call her Kara, and in, in the DC animated universe they call her Kara. So they adopted Kara here. And uh, I also think it's cool that on Smallville, Laura Vandervoort got to be in scenes with Helen Slater because Helen Slater at the time was playing uh, Kal-El's mother, Laura. So they got to have two Supergirls in a scene together. It's also worth noting that this Kara, this version of Supergirl, also has a little bit of a romance with Jimmy Olsen. Uh, that might be something that you see in Supergirl, the TV show. And she has a weird dynamic with Lex Luthor on there that sort of is a throwback to the Matrix Supergirl during the death of Superman, sort of a, 
a strange dynamic, and uh, Supergirl on Smallville actually gets to go into the Phantom Zone, so it's sort of an homage to Supergirl the movie. And I also like that in her first, her, her first episode, her first appearance, when she is found under, under the water, she actually rescues Lex Luthor, and she, she looks very angelic. And I, I assume if, if, if I think that they are actually caring about the comics, that might be an homage to the Peter David run when she is an Earthborn angel. A uh, fun fact. Yeah. So Laura Vandervoort's birthday is September 22nd, which is like DC's official birthday for Super. Right. So it's it's <laughs> faded, faded. So yeah, I actually like Laura Vandervoort. I think she did a great job. And then around this time, we get the Sterling Gates run. And if uh, you were to ask any big Supergirl fan what you need to read if you want to read Supergirl comics, they I guarantee you one of the first things out of their mouth is going to be the Sterling Gates run. It is a fan-favorite run on the character. It takes place during the new Krypton storyline they were doing at the time. And in this, these stories, uh, Kara reunites with Allura, her mother, and Zor-El, her father. They are still alive in this uh, continuity. And she has a frenemy relationship with Cat Grant. Uh, this is the kind of the first time they interact. Cat doesn't like her at first, but then they kind of come around to being allies at the end because they face Toy Man together. Yeah. I remember when I was watching Supergirl, the TV show, on Mondays, because I used to watch it on Mondays. Yep. Where Cat Grant and Kara really despised one another. Yeah, and I think this. That goes to women, uh, so Banshee and Livewire try to kill Cat uh, Grant, and then Barry Allen and Supergirl had to fight yeah, that- Banshee and. Uh, live work. Yeah, that's in a, the first crossover that Supergirl did on uh, the Airverse with the Flash called uh, World's Finest. So if yeah. you want to see Supergirl and the Flash fight Silver Banshee and Livewire, uh, that is the episode to check out. So yeah, that, this, this run of the comics is very influential on the Supergirl TV series. And if you, if you watched season three of Supergirl and we met Kara's uh, friend, uh, Thara, on Argo, this is where she's introduced in the comics. She is Kara's uh, uh, best friend, Thara Akbar, is when you get this in the, the Sterling Gates run. Also in this run, this is where we get to see Kara's uh, secret identity known as Linda Lang this time. She's not Linda Lee anymore, and that's uh, the reason for that is that she has a really close bond with uh, Lana Lang. And I kind of think it's more of like a mother-daughter relationship than like a sister dynamic. Um, but so Lana takes her in and she uh, takes her last name. This is also where we get Lucy Lane as Superwoman. It's uh, Lois usually has the Superwoman moniker. It's very much part of her history. But Lucy actually becomes Superwoman in these stories. And uh, in this story, we saw Reactron in the Daring New Adventures of Supergirl from the 80s. He comes back, and he does something terrible. He, mur- he murders Supergirl's father. So it's a big moment for her in this run. Uh, this also features uh, the story Bizarro Girl, which is actually personally one of my favorite comics, period, nonstop. I highly recommend it. Uh, Supergirl actually takes Bizarro Girl back to her home world of Bizarro World. And it's a really great story highlighting Supergirl's compassion. She sort of sees herself in Bizarro Girl, and I really like that. You also get some Legion of Superhero action in uh, this run. And like I said, it's highly influential in the the first season, especially of uh, the CW Supergirl. 
After that, uh, we get the New 52, which uh, ran from about 2011 to 2016. And once again, we get a costume change. Uh, this this time around, I don't know what they were thinking with these boots, uh, personally. <laughs> I don't know that the boots make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but I do I do like the short hair. This is the kind of the first time we see Supergirl with uh, short hair like this. They also kind of do that with the Injustice Supergirl. And I like her cape a lot. It's the red cape with kind of the gold outline. Um, so it's not my favorite costume, but I appreciate the fact that they, they kept playing with it. This, uh, this run also introduced Rain and the World Killers, which, again, if you've seen uh, Supergirl Season 3, uh, Rain and the World Killers were featured in there, so this is where they come from. And this, this is the run that also has uh, Zor-El as Cyborg Superman, so the Cyborg Superman is not Hank Henshaw anymore. He's actually uh, Supergirl's father, and we'll see that uh, pop up again later in the uh, comics for her. And this is also known as the run that had Supergirl become a Red Lantern. So she was full of rage, very angry, uh, but she became a lantern for a little while. And so this uh, leads to the CW Supergirl. Well, it started as CBS's Supergirl uh, in 2015. Uh, so it debuted on CBS, and then after the first season, uh, they decided to uh, move it to the CW. So it, location-wise, it was shooting in Los Angeles. So if you see season one, there's a lot of palm trees in National City. And then after that, you don't see the palm trees much anymore. <laughs> uh, so they moved networks, but I think it was a good and bad decision because it was a good thing because they were able to play around with some of the other shows like Arrow and The Flash. But then the change actually made us lose Cat Grant and Callista Flockhart and some of those other characters uh, because Cat Grant, uh, well, Callista wanted to stay in Los Angeles to be with her family. Uh, if you don't know, Harrison Ford is actually her husband, so uh, that's uh, just a fun fact. Uh, so she wanted to stay in Los Angeles, so Cat Grant just kind of comes back occasionally, but she's not around full time. Uh, Supergirl in this series is on Earth 38 in the multiverse, and uh, it it uses a lot of different influences of some of the eras of Supergirl that we've already talked about. So uh, Midvale plays a big part in Kara's past. There's actually a really great episode titled Midvale where we actually got to see sort of how uh, Kara and her sister Alex became close. So you get to see some Midvale like in the Silver Age. Uh, Mr. Mixias Pitalik came on wanting to marry Supergirl. That's very Silver Age. Uh, Supergirl had an interaction with Lucy Lane, which is from the Sterling Gates run that we talked about. They introduced the Omega Hedron from Supergirl the movie. Uh, we mentioned Rain and the World Killers, which is from the New 52. Supergirl uh, became, I guess, a little bit of a frenemy with Psy. I kind of think they're a bit of, uh, kind of friends now, but uh, she interacted with Psy, which is from Daring New Adventures of Supergirl. She uh, palled around with the Legion of Superheroes, which is very Silver Age, and we got to see a Streaky. He's not the super cat. He doesn't have superpowers. There's no ex-Kryptonite that he's around that gives him superpowers, but uh, it's a really nice scene where Carr talks about how she uh, took care of Streaky. And we can't really talk about this show unless we talk about Melissa Benoist, who plays Supergirl. I think she is a fantastic Supergirl and a very fantastic Kara. She's a very good actress. She's a triple threat. She can act, she can sing, she can dance, and she's actually done all three as Supergirl uh, because they have had a musical episode. Uh, it's called Duet with the Flash. And uh, what I think is really unique about her portrayal, she actually plays a lot of variations on the character. So uh, on the left there you see that's uh, Kara 
in uh, the episode titled For the Girl Who Has Everything. And this is the Kara in her mind uh, under Black Mercy. This is the Kara who never had to leave Krypton, that she got to live on Krypton. And so that's a very different uh, take on Kara. And then in season one, we saw Kara get affected by red kryptonite. So this is the Kara that says what she feels. She's kind of mean to people. She's very violent. Uh, and then we also got to, to meet Overgirl, who is a very evil version of Supergirl. She's actually a Nazi on Earth-X. Uh, and she wanted to, she was kind of an evil queen from Snow White. She wanted to take Supergirl's heart. So she, uh, she, she needed it for herself. She needed to take Supergirl's heart and put it in, in her because her heart was bad. Um, and then more, more recently, we got to meet uh, Red Daughter, which is an adaptation of the a big comic story called Superman Red Sun. So uh, we got to meet a version of Kara that was created out of Harinel. And she became, she kind of landed in uh, the fictional country of Kaznia, and she was raised um, and trained by Lex Luthor to hate America and to uh, want to kill Supergirl. So I, I just think it's really fun that not only, only do we get Supergirl and Cara Danvers, we get all these different interpretations of what it would be like if Supergirl was not as good as she is. And the big thing that uh, was added to the Supergirl mythology because of this show is the introduction of Kara having a sister. And uh, her sister's name is Alex Danvers. She is the biological daughter of Jeremiah and Eliza Danvers. And uh, they pal around together. They go out in the field and fight bad guys together. Uh, Alex is actually currently the director of the DEO, which is the Department of Extra Normal Operations. They handle all the kind of secret they're kind of a shadowy secret organization, but everybody kind of knows about the DEO, so I don't know if it's so much secret anymore. Um, but a lot of fans love the Car and Alex dynamic, and they're, they're kind of the heart of the show. And the show does a really good job of bringing back people from other various uh, Superman, Supergirl-related uh, adaptations. So we got to see Supergirls fight each other when uh, Laura Vandervoort came on and played Indigo in the first season. So we got a Supergirl versus Supergirl fight. Uh, Laura Vandervoort had some really great fingernails as Indigo. She had great hand acting. Um, really utilized those really long, uh, scary-looking fingernails. Uh, more recently, we got Sam Witwer on to play Ben Lockwood slash Agent Liberty. He was Davis Bloom and Doomsday on Smallville. Uh, Erica Durant came on to replace Laura Benanti as Allura, Supergirl's uh, Kryptonian mother. And uh, we also have Jeremiah and Eliza Danvers, played by Dean Kane and Helen Slater. And uh, speaking of Dean Kane, we got Terry Hatcher in season two as Queen Rhea, who was Monel's uh, evil queen mother. She was pretty nasty, and she chewed up a lot of scenery, and I loved her so much. Uh, so I'm sorry she got turned into dust. Uh, that was very unfortunate. Uh, but I love that the show brings these people back, and they do such a good job to, to add to the mythology. And in addition to the show, the comics actually had a run of uh, tie-in comics associated with the CW Supergirl titled Adventures of Supergirl. And this time around, they brought Sterling Gates back because everybody loves some Sterling Gates. And he uh, introduced Alex Danvers into a comic book form. So this is the first time you actually get to see something from the show get put into the comics. This is also the first appearance of a villain that he created specifically for Supergirl named Facet. She is a Kryptonian jailer from Fort Ross, and he also put Rampage and Psy in these stories, which I love, because Psy is actually one of my 
favorite Supergirl villains. I think she's really great. And there's, I mean, this story I would recommend to, to anybody who loves Supergirl stories. It's a, it's a short run, and it's just very well written, and the art is gorgeous. And I just, I highly recommend it. Let's see. Okay, yeah. So we get to the present day in the comics, which is DC Rebirth, which started in 2016 and is still ongoing. And this run on the comics, actually, it's very interesting how the comics influenced the TV show, but now the TV show is actually influencing the comics. And uh, so in in this run of stories, you get to see Jeremiah and Eliza Danvers. No longer is it Fred and Sylvia, it's Jeremiah and Eliza. But you don't see Alex. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's a licensing thing, I don't know if it's a likeness thing, but Alex uh, does not appear in these stories. So Eliza and Jeremiah are DEO agents who help Supergirl. And if if you are wondering if Eliza Danvers is missing a right hand, you're not crazy. She is missing a right hand, and it's something I didn't notice until about issue four of the run. run. Uh, And that's an intentional choice by uh, writer Steve Orlando, who wanted to pay tribute to a friend of his who had a disability. So he put, uh, put that disability in the Eliza character. And I think it's a really subtle thing. I don't think a lot of people catch on to it when they're reading the stories. But if you read Rebirth, check and see, because uh, it's, it's there from the very beginning. This run also features DE, the DEO and CatCo, just like on the show. Kara is working at CatCo. It takes place in National City, just like in the TV show. And it also features Cat Grant, looking an awful lot like Calista Flockhart there. So you get some Cat uh, Grant in DC Rebirth. Uh, DC Rebirth also uh, pulls a lot from prior stories, like uh, Zor-El is Cyborg Superman again, like he is in the, uh, the New 52. Uh, just like on the show of the CW series, uh, Indigo shows up and um, causes some troubles for Supergirl. Psy uh, makes a reappearance. Um, Let's see, you get a Kryptonian werewolves down there. The idea that uh, Kryptonian werewolves exist is very exciting for me. I really enjoy that <laughs> that, that is a thing. Uh, it's a character named Lauren, and he pals around with uh, the, D- the longtime DEO character Cameron Chase. Uh, she makes one appearance on the TV show, which is very unfortunate because there's a whole, uh, if, you, if you're interested in the DEO, there's a big like trade pa- paperback graphic novel thing called Chase. And it's all about the DEO, and it's really great. And it introduced it, it, that that story, that set of stories introduced me to that uh, skeleton-looking guy over there. His name is Director Bones, and he's one of my favorite comic book characters because he's such a weird-looking character. He's actually a skeleton that smokes cigars, and his superpower is that he has cyanide sweat. So if he touches you, you will die. And if you're wondering how does a skeleton sweat? Don't worry about it. You've already thought about it too hard. <laughs> um, so that's. But I, I love Director Bones. I love it when he shows up. So he, he plays a big part in DC Rebirth. Uh, Supergirl also has some love interests. Uh, the guy with the glasses there is a character, a new character named Ben Rubel. He works with Kara at Catco. Uh, the uh, handsome-looking Kaluan there with the awesome goatee is a character named Zender. Uh, if he looks like Brainiac Five, there's a reason for that. I mean, they're both Kaluan. So, but this one is actually, uh, this guy is actually named Zender. He pals around with uh, Supergirl and Crypto. And I just put in there, uh, I thought it was interesting that in Rebirth, you get the idea of image inducers, which is something that the TV show uh, introduced. The idea that, that aliens can change uh, their, their faces or their, their appearance by using an image inducer. So that's kind of the current run on the comics. 
And there's so much content. There's so much Supergirl stuff out there. If you're a Supergirl fan, just dig in. There's so much of for any reading level, for any age group. There's a ton of stuff. Uh, so we don't have time to cover some of these things, which I probably would have liked to if I had more time. Um, but these are some things that I would recommend. Uh, if you have some teenagers or young children, uh, the, the Joe Whittemore young adult novels uh, that she has written that are kind of a tie-in to the TV show are, are excellent. Uh, there's this uh, series called Supergirl and the Cosmic Adventures in the 8th grade. It's a really cute run where Lena Luthor plays a big part. So if you're a Lena Luthor fan, that's a cute story. DC Comics has uh, a whole brand called DC Superhero Girls, which is comics, animated shorts, animated features, merchandise. Uh, you might see some of the dolls or some of the costumes or some. they have books even. So if you have some young ones, DC Superhero Girls uh, is a great one to put them uh, to start reading because Supergirl plays a part in that. Uh, there's also a four-issue run called Supergirl Being Super. Uh, Mark Wade uh, used Supergirl quite a bit in the Legion of Superheroes story, uh, Legion of Superheroes run that he uh, wrote, and those are actually really great. Actually, taught me a lot about the Legion. Uh, so if you're interested in her uh, time as a Legionnaire, I would recommend the Mark Wade stuff. And uh, Supergirl is also uh, pretty big in the DC uh, Comics Bombshell series. So uh, basically, if you like Supergirl, there's something for you. No matter who you are, where you're from, what age, what reading level you are, there's something out there for everybody. And uh, so this is a time for if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts that you want to share about Supergirl, this is a time to do that. We've got a few minutes left. Anybody have any questions? Supergirl, she's a very good person. She has good heart. She cares about a lot of people. It's just that most people should not underestimate her because she can do what she wants. It's just that words can hurt, especially if you're trying to bully others. It's not right because it can really affect those who you're bullying. Because it can hurt. You know that saying, sticks and stones may break your bones and words will never break you. Sure. Well, they do it the opposite. Words can really hurt. Whether you say it or not, it really hurts. Yeah, and Supergirl is a, a great character because her, uh, her motto, you know, Superman has truth, justice in the American way. Well, Sterling Gates introduced a motto for her that's uh, hope, help, hope, help, and compassion for all. So that's kind of what Supergirl is about. That's, those are her traits. And so Supergirl does a lot to, to help people, and she has compassion even on the bad guys that uh, she interacts with. And uh, for Supergirl and Superman, they're, probably their biggest weakness is not kryptonite. It's attacking people and things that they care about. So, yeah, that's a really great point. Well, I know it's a kind of around that time to wrap things up, but if you are interested in following up with me, uh, I mentioned at the beginning that I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio. We are a weekly podcast, so we have content even throughout the summer. The summertime is the best time to listen to us because we all we do a bunch of crazy stuff, not just talking about the show. We, uh, we, talk, we talk about, um, like recently we just had an episode about uh, Kara's refugee status, and we talked about is she a refugee or not. So uh, that's, that's something we have a lot of different uh, episodes relating to the character. And right before the show starts back up, if you're interested, we'll probably do some what we call character spotlights, which is 
uh, taking the new characters that are coming on the show, and we're going to learn about them before we even get to see them on the show. So that's the kind of stuff we do. So if you want to check us out, it's uh, supergirlradio.com, where you can find all of our episodes and all of our links to all of our social media. But um, thank you guys for coming and uh, learning about Supergirl with me, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day.